book of Romans chapter 8 tonight. I want to read beginning in verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28, and we'll read on down. And we know that all things work together to good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. <clears throat> Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? <clears throat> if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, and yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Pray with us, please. Heavenly Father, as we read these precious verses, we read how secure every believer we are. Lord, the devil can't have us. He can't have our souls. And he's fighting every moment as we live, Lord, to have our lives here on this earth. But we know, Lord, that you build a hedge around us. You'll take care of us. You bless us every day of our life. And we thank you for it. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I have read, I can't even put in number how many sermons and listen to sermons that's been written on verse 28. And it's always that uh, whatever happens to you, just about every sermon I've ever heard preach on this, whatever happens to you, uh, God is doing something good for you or wants to do something good for you if you're going through a hard time. But they never make who exactly this prompts us to. And if you look at the last part of this verse, you'll see to them who are the called according to His purpose. And so... Uh, when it said we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and then he adds to the rest of that sentence or that paragraph that who are called according to his purpose now predestination is in the Bible and I had a man and I've had several have visited our church and talked to me about this thing of predestination and and they even had they come to the place of why do you even go out and visit or why do you say you soul winning there's no such thing in it's soul winning in the New Testament era today uh, everybody's predestined to either go to hell or to go to heaven already and ain't a thing you can do about it uh, it's only by the God's grace that somebody's saved and uh, so on and they, they talk in those realms <clears throat> that you don't have anything to do with it. God has already made it where everybody's going to heaven is going to heaven, and whoever's going to hell is going to hell. Ain't a thing you can do about it because of the word predestination. Well, you can't take predestination out of the Bible because it's in there. But to understand uh, predestination, and now there are seven great verses here on this thing of predestination. 
And we learn that God brings us into the sphere of His wisdom in verse 29. He foreknows us, for whom He did foreknow. Now watch this, please. All the bad and all the good, all that would please God and all that would bring Him pain by us, God already knows. And the second thing, He brings us under the sovereignty of His will. He predestined us for His glory to be conformed to the image of His Son, verse 29. Then He brings us under the sound of His Word. He calls us, in verse 30, over whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Now, He calls us, and then He brings us under the shadow of His wing, in verse 30. He said He justifies us, gives us a standing before Himself, so pure and spotless that no power on earth, hell or heaven, can bring any accusation against us in. And finally, God brings us into the splendor of His world. He glorifies us, in verse 30. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, then He also called. Whom He, also, he called, then He also justified. Whom He justified, then He also glorified. Now, uh, and the verb here in the past is in the past tense, meaning we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to know whether or not we're going to heaven. We're already there in God's eyes. In God's eternal counsel, then, we're already glorified. The believer's predestined for heaven. Now, what that does for every saved person, if you understand predestination, that gives you assurance. We have all these denominations today that are going around preaching that you can get saved and you can do something, you make a mistake and say something you ought not to say or do something you ought not to do and you lose your salvation, you got to get saved again. Now, if you had to get saved again, you got to remember something. You'd have to crucify Christ all over again and God's not ever going to let that happen. Jesus was crucified once for all. And the next question is then, what about all the years in between the believer's conversion and his consummation then, or getting to heaven? Is there a possibility that during these years of testing and trial, something might be go wrong, which will cause the believer to forfeit his salvation? The answer is absolutely no. Because the believer is not only predestined by for glory, but he also, number two, he's preserved for glory. Look at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And all the way down to verse 39, it talks about, Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors, verse 37, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, and he gives all these things, that nothing can take your salvation away from you. Then uh, again, note four things here. One, the foundation of our hope of heaven is unshakable then. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things if God be for us who can be against us? Then verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we he not with him also freely give us all things? God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, let's back up for just a minute and I want to explain predestination to you. Uh, when it comes to predestination, if you notice, God said He because of His foreknowledge. 
in verse 30, uh, 29, for whom he did foreknow. In other words, uh, I laugh at these people that think that they slip up on God one day and they just decide one day they're going to get saved and, and God just decides on this particular day that he's going to save that person. No, you were saved in the eyes of God from the very foundation of the earth. God knew what was going to, you were going to do. God knew that you were going to uh, do certain things or, or reject Him or receive Him. And because of His foreknowledge, therefore He predestinates you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, how is that done? By verse 30, Moreover, who Him did, did predestinate, them also called. Whom He called, He also justified. And goes on to say, and, and, that, that By His Word, we hear of Him, and then we're predestinated, we're saved for the glory of God. Now, whatever is necessary then for our justification, sanctification, and glorification is given in the gift of God's Son. I read this little thing, and I think it says it like it is. A wealthy Roman had a son who broke his heart, and a slave who commanded his admiration. He decided on his deathbed to disinherit his son and leave everything to his slave. Marcellus, he drew up the papers and called his son in to tell him what he had done. I have deeded everything to the slave Marcellus, he said. However, you may choose one item from my estate for yourself. He said, I'll take Marcellus. Now you think about that just for a minute. That's exactly what happened to you and I. Everything that we need is in Christ Jesus. In if you take Christ, you got it all. You got it all. Now, notice something. The next thing is the fullness of our hope of glory. There's no possibility of any charge being brought against us. Verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God elect? It is God that justifies. I laugh at these little peon people that want to stand and talk about God as He's nothing. Can you imagine a human being standing before God, period? Not even being able to open his mouth. Man, you stand before God. You're not going to accuse God. You're not going to blame God. You're going to be absolutely overwhelmed just in His sight much less accusing him of something. And you're going to accuse him of saving somebody and somebody else not getting saved? No, you're not, because he's God. And verse 33 makes that very plain. Then notice, even if a charge were brought against us, look who is our judge. Now, notice something. It's the very one who can... Uh, the condemnation is impossible. The judge is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if Jesus forgave us, who's going to blame Jesus? Nobody has that power. Then uh, the finality of our hope of glory is found in verse 35 down through verse 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or naked, or peril, or sword? As written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nothing can do any harm any more than, according to verse 39, 38 and 39. 
There's a dramatic incident recorded in Zephaniah 3 that illustrates this. Joshua, the high priest, is shown standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand, accusing Joshua. Joshua was arrayed in a filthy garments, a picture of his unfitness for the presence of God. What Satan argues were we are not told. But the context implies that he was accusing Joshua before God of his vileness and his disgrace. But Satan is a liar, the Bible says, and a deceiver. But when he appears as the accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12 and verse 10 says he doesn't have, have to use lies because we're all guilty. There's a plenty of ground for him telling the truth about us. But notice Joshua had no word to use in his defense. If you go back and read that story in Zephaniah 3, before he could even speak to God took up his case. And the Lord said unto Satan, Zephaniah 3, verses 1 through 5. Here's what I'm telling you. Every day that Satan accuses you and I before the Lord. But brother, we got one that takes our case. Amen. And you think about that for just now. Now Paul, again in Romans 8, verse 33, Who shall lay anything in charge of God elect? It is God that justifies. Notice now, the fullness of our hope of glory rests not only on the perfect defeat of our adversary, the devil, but also on the perfect defense of our advocate, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, uh, rather, that is written again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for So, even if a charge is made, who will condemn? The judge is none other than the Lord Jesus himself, the very one who makes condemnation impossible according to Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. Now, Jesus who died, Jesus who arose, Jesus who ascended, Jesus who ascends, and it all for us. Let the adversary, the devil, make any charge he will. The perfect answer is the uprisen, pierced hands of Jesus in intercession. That's all that's needed. The believers preserved for heaven and glory. Now in concluding his argument, Paul shows it beginning in verse 35 down through verse 37, the finality of our hope for glory and declares that nothing, absolutely nothing, can shake the believer's security. These seven enemies, verse 35, seven of them, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, naked, peril, sword, all these things. Now, this has been common against every Christian that's ever been. These seven things is common. Every once in a while we say, boy, I'm going through a hard time. There's been people who went through a hard time, same as you have before. Amen? We think we're the only one. No, we're not. Joshua, I mean, Elijah said to God, I'm the only one in search. He said, no, you're not. I got 5,000 over here in the cave. And just like you is what he was saying. And sometimes we go through these hard times and things. We think we're the only one and God comes back and says, no, you're not. This is common among Christians. This is the kind of thing that goes on amongst Christians. 
And on the contrary, they drew the believer closer to the Lord. Then if you're going through a hard time, you get closer to the Lord. And just because these things are allowed by God is no proof God has ceased to love us. Because Hebrews 12, verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so the devil has, uh, not the devil's crowd, don't understand. We're anointed as sheep for the slaughter, but we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now Peter illustrates this in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. Peter had been arrested and he'd been sentenced by a mean old King Herod who knew no mercy uh, to death and tomorrow Peter was to die. Now James had already been beheaded by Herod. Peter knew all of this, was facing his tomorrow and Peter is yonder in his cell rolled up to sleep and peacefully uh, with contempt for the plans of Herod, at the end was Peter was more than conquerors. He got out of jail. The angel got him out. Now Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, no fear can haunt us. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded. Amen? And it gives you all these things. Death, fear, death cannot separate us from the love of God. Death literally ushers us into glory itself. Death renders the service of making us absent from the body and present from the Lord. Second Corinthians five eight. Uh, can life separate us from the love of God? No. Why? Because Jesus said, Matthew twenty eight verse twenty, Lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the world. And by the way, this was David Livingston's text, Matthew twenty eight in verse twenty. Can angels separate us? From the love of God? No. Why? They're all ministers, spirits, sent forth to minister unto the children of God for salvation. Hebrews 1 verse 14. Angels literally crowd the unseen world about the aid to aid every one of us on our journey to heaven then. Can principalities or powers separate us from the love of God? No. Why? Because we're arrayed in the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, verse 12. And, and Christ has already exposed them, shattered, emptied, defeated, principalities and powers at the cross of Calvary. Can things present separate us from the love of God? No. Why? Because God is the I Am, the one who dwells eternally in the present. Can things to come separate us from the God? No. Why? Because the Lord Jesus is the coming one. Of all things to come, He's the supreme, vital future. Advent is His. And then can heights or death separate us from the love of God? No. Because God Himself has plumbed the deepest depth for us and scaled us up the highest heights and throned us yonder in glory. Can any other creature separate us from the love of God? No. Because, after all, a creature is but a creature, and God is involved us in the love of the Creator. Amen? Now, all these things, whether it be things from experience, or things from the realm of spirits, whether it be matters of time or space, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Which, by the way... We have only because of Christ. Not only because of who we are, 
nor what we have done, only because of Christ. Now, when you when you understand these things, when you come to Romans chapter 8, don't just read Romans 8, 28 and say, all things work together for them that love the Lord. Find out why. And once you realize why, nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. Amen? And you, we're under His protection. And by the way, nothing can take my salvation away from me. My daddy, I never will forget leading him to the Lord and hearing him. He finally saw that he asked the Lord to save him, that God would save him. And I never will forget the night before he died, sitting and talking to him, he said, tell me more about it. He said, tell me how it's going to be when I take my last breath. And, and I, I sat and talked with him. I said, well, Daddy, I just believe that when you take your last breath, God's going to come down and get you in his you to heaven with him. And I believe I can prove that by the Word of God. And I read him the Scriptures according to that. And, and he, he said, you know what? I think I'll just lay down. Wouldn't it be good, he said, if I could just lay down here tonight and just go on to heaven? That's exactly what he did. He went to, he went to bed, woke up in heaven. Amen. And so, after all the years of living on this earth, 89 years, and then absent body, present Lord, that's proof to me, if I didn't have any other proof, my God's sufficient. I don't have to worry about it. And there ain't nothing to take my salvation. Amen. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your sweetness and your promises in your word, Lord, and how you take care of us. And encourage us, Lord, from thy word every day. We need encouragement. We need uplifting. And these are some of the greatest verses in all the world that we can care with from day to day and rejoice in them. In Jesus' name we ask you to bless us. Amen. Shake hands, somebody, please.